Welcome, good friends, Romans, compatriots, fellows, to the broadcast. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I'm joined here on this beautiful May day slash evening by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm very good, Dave. I'm I'm actually very good. Uh, I've gotten my second uh, lockdown wind. Ooh, yeah. I hit a wall like three weeks ago, but I am starting to – I'm firing out again. As, I hit uh, a wall as, about as, – as our dear athletic yes. director of your Dan Guerrero once said, I'm firing out. I hit a wall about 18 minutes ago. <laughs> yep. And that's been about my 27th wall. But, but you just keep I'm, breaking through them, right? I'm, I'm firing out. Yeah. No, we're firing out here today on the broadcast. Um, I won't say we have a lot to talk about, but we have some interesting things to talk about. Would that be a fair description? I think we have a, a, so much to talk about. We just don't even we can't even get it in one broadcast. We have right. depth and breadth. Yes, the ins and the outs, the quality and the quantity here in the broadcast. I know when you get kind of grandiose like this, that the sub just so everyone knows, the subtext is. You're really tired. <laughs> is that I, accurate? Is I, that I got true? three and a half hours of sleep last night. There we go. This is what you do yeah. when you get really tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just bringing it home. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we wanted to talk about the potential for football because uh, we're now at the end of May. And Tracy, if you know anything about me, this is about the time of year where I start – I start hitting my full homer move into summer, right? <laughs> yes, and I'm true. jonesing to start homering for something. Um, but I need to know if this thing's going to happen. You're jonesing and you're homering. I'm jonesing to homer. Is there – are either of those words made it into like the Oxford dictionary? I hope, I hope both have because if not, um, you know, I've really made an error here. But – I think uh, I think if they're not already, they should be now. Now that I've uttered them in that combination, Jones is in the dictionary <laughs> as a verb. Yeah, cool. So there you go. There we go. Okay. Uh huh. Um. So I, I we're kind. Of, we were just talking off air, and we're going to try to recapture that magic that was happening off air um, about the upcoming football season because it does sound now that there's a lot of momentum. In all the leagues, in all the states, in all the schools, in all of the athletic departments, except for like Michigan, apparently their president is not down uh, with the idea of opening things up. But basically everyone seems like they want to both open school, at least on a hybrid model in the fall, and also try for a football season. This is May still, but it does sound like there's some optimistic talk happening. Yes. I think it's more than just optimistic talk. I think that the optimism reflects um, everyone. It just seems like the train is pulling out of the station. In the last week or so, even with with more uh, relief from the lockdowns across the country, regardless of what's happening with the coronavirus, um, I think college football and the NCAA is kind of jumping on that train. You know what I would say? I would say the train that we're going to take to our destination is pulling into our station right now. I wouldn't say it's leaving our station yet, but I would say it 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 suffered some setbacks on its way here. We were upset about those setbacks. We thought for a second maybe that bridge failure was going to keep the train from arriving here to take us to our ultimate destination, which is a football season. But now it seems like it's coming here. The question now is whether we're going to get from here whether we're going to leave this station and get all the way to our ultimate destination. Right. And I think there's more than right now. I think you, I would qualify it, characterize it as more than just optimism. Uh, I, I, I think people who you think are we're taking, you think power, we're taking our seats on the train. It, yeah. Let's keep going with that analogy for the next hour with that <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> Should I buy my ticket, Dave? <laughs> Are we sitting upper level or lower level? What are we doing? Are we hitting? Do we have, are, are we hitting the drink car first? What are we? What are we trying to do on this train? Do we have a little one of those sleeper compartments? 
I like those things. Those a are Pullman cool. train, as they used to be called. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, so that's yeah. Uh, I think we just killed that train. Uh, no, no, no. It's, I'm I'm going to go back uh, to it later, but we'll keep going for now. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's more than optimism. I, I I think I think there are plans that are going to go forward. Um, of course, there are other things that could happen that could impact those plans. And those are very, very real possibilities between now and, I mean, let's just say, I don't want to say the drop dead date. That's kind of a bad thing. But, yeah, um, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, uh, most programs need to start team activities I think the latest possible date would be like July 15th because you've got to start at least two weeks before you get into fall camp. Um, so a lot can happen between now and July, but I think there probably isn't going to be enough that happens that the people who are making these decisions will decide not to have the season. I, I think there and between you, like Dave Woods and Tracy Pearson, we might think there's enough to say, no, we're not having the season. But I think the people making the decision, somehow they've shown in the last few weeks that their decision making and how they're moving forward isn't necessarily in conjunction with what still might be happening. And there could, like I said, there could be things that happen, but I, I think we're headlong <laughs> – I didn't use the train, but I think we're headlong towards this at least being attempted uh, season to be attempted. Yeah, I think the boilers are being filled. You know, <laughs> um, I, I think we've got some stevedores working. Um, what I would, what I'm, I, I'm of the belief and like large scale beyond just football that like I don't think there is a really good choice right now. Um, I think it's a, a series of problematic choices that can be made and so you kind of just whatever at this point because we've you know we're, we're down a path at this point um with football season I, I think it is it's timed correctly um assuming the summer does have some sort of dampening effect on the virus um like it does with influenza which still is an assumption but um go with it for now or the combination of that with our social distancing efforts have a serious dampening effect all the way through the summer. Um, it sets up well to start a college football season. My question for John Wilner yesterday on the podcast of champions, but also just kind of generally is what would it take to stop it again? Like what would it take if you, so I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards they're going to at least try. They're going to get to August, and there's going to be a fall camp most places. There's going okay, to let's, be – let's just stop. Wait. Let me just stop you right there because let, before we get from this point to our next destination. Sure. <laughs> let's just think about the things that could happen between right now, which is late June, and like I said, uh, late May, sorry, and um, – the date of July 15th. So we've got a little under two months. Um, and, you know, people might not like where I'm coming from on this, but I think there's a real chance that we see a spike in coronavirus cases, hospitalizations, and deaths between now and then. Yeah, because um, there's a chance that the well, summer, because this is a novel virus that is only infected between 5 and 10% of the population right now, that the summer is not going to actually have much of a dampening effect and that relaxing social distancing and, and um, the stay-at-home orders, that that actually leads to a spike in June. Um, and, and you know what's really funny about this? I, I think given what we do know, and we don't know a lot about it, and – that most of the country is really determined to open up in some basis and open up in phases. I get all that. Um, I think if the now, obviously I, I'm not a doctor or anything close to a virologist or anything, but you would, you would think that most of the, most of the experts are saying that if most people, when they went out, if they maintained the social distancing and more mass, that would, you know, give 
the country a, a good chance to keep this under relatively under control. Right now, when you when you look out and watch the news, there are so many people who have decided not to just simply wear masks. So I think based on that, that there's a good chance that there is another spike that happens between now and July. Hopefully, hopefully the summer, like you said, can dampen it, that it that it mimics other, you know, mimics the flu. But as most experts are saying, because they've uh, a lot of parts of the country have opened up in the last few weeks, some parts that were that were not seeing (laughs) cases, deaths and hospitalizations going down and they still opened up that mid-June might be very telling uh, if we see a spike in all of those things by mid-June. That's, that's going to say a lot. And the question is, what degree of spike do we need to stop the college football train? Yeah, and I think if we – I mean, it's going to depend on whether – I mean, it's not going to be stopping the college football train. I think at this point – Honestly, knowing sports folks, knowing people in the athletic departments and knowing people just like general sportsy people, they're always prone to generally it's a, you know, it's a dumber group. And second, um, they're also um, prone to optimism, like prone to just, oh, we're going to do hopeful thinking and that's going to turn out OK. And it's like a it's like a prereq for the job. But it's not going to be dependent on them because the only thing I think that's going to stop the sports train at this point is the state's train. And if the states decide, Oh wow, we're locking down again because this is getting ugly. Um, you know, like in Italy, they reopened. Um, and then one of the mayors of one of the towns with a beach saw that all these people are not wearing masks and they're not social distancing. So they shut that thing down again. Um, if that sort of stuff is happening commonplace here and certain states decide, well, we're not, okay we opened up and now it's it's looking like we're spiking again and they shut down that's that's gonna tell it um i really don't think the the schools are going to be making proactive decisions outside of the realm of what the states are deciding yes completely agree with all that and i just want to say one thing because we don't usually get political and this really isn't political but i don't personally get any kind of logic behind not wearing a mask the possibility for all of us benefiting from society opening up economically, financially, college football, everything is pretty much dependent that we don't see an extreme spike again. And really the number one way from keeping that from happening is that just everyone wears a mask. The world, I, I, the world at large is an Internet argument now, Tracy. That's yeah. You've got to remember that and always yeah. think of it in terms of that because – it doesn't have to pass any logical test beyond this is what I think and this is how I'm going to support what I think. I don't think this is a big deal, so I am not going to wear a mask because I'm trying to win an internet argument that is existing in the world now. Yeah, we should probably just keep it right there. But I I, I just wanted to pass this along to our little constituency that regardless of your politics, just – the thing, put it this way, the thing that's going to maybe help everyone get towards playing a football season is if you, the personal thing we all could do is wear a mask. Okay, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. 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 Um, but so anyway, so all right. So the things that could stop it would be, I think, and I think we're in agreement, it would only be if the states themselves close. I think at this point okay. the universities seem predisposed to want to try to do this. The University of California system, which was – one of the more conservative groups in the country, but certainly the one in, in California in, term, in, in the Pac-12 in terms of deciding on this, you know, they're now making noise that they're definitely going to go back to some at least hybrid model in the fall, which certainly opens the door for football. Um, so if the state's closed, that'll do it. And then, but my question, so, all right, so say there's no spike, say the summer does actually have Enough of a dampening effect, people still behave responsibly enough that we maintain at the level we are now or maybe even get a little bit better, right? Where there's – I think we're still like well over like ten to 15,000 cases a day. But let's say it gets down to like 8,000 and, you know, California stops this like, you know, 
tiny little spike that's happening right now. Um, say all of that starts to get dampened down and everyone's feeling good about the start of the season suddenly and August comes and everything's fine and then September hits. What are the factors that would actually stop the train from completely rolling at that point? Like how much – so say, this, think, say yeah. the states wouldn't close, but what sort of outbreaks among teams would cause that's it? What it? That's what it would have to be. It would have to be instead of that you extrapolate that there's a there's – you know, something breaking out in your state or in your county. I don't think that like what we're basically saying is I, I don't think that would stop the season or the games from being played or the teams from practicing. What I think could only stop that is is literally that the teams have such an outbreak that they can't go on. Don't you think? Yeah. Well, and the ramifications, I mean, and it would be tough if they get into the season what we were talking about off air was, okay, so these tests aren't perfect. Um, and on a mass scale, you've got thousands of kids playing football. Okay, so a certain um, – say they even do get to the point where they can do daily rapid tests that are relatively accurate. Like, you know, some level of like 98% accuracy, 99% accuracy, and do them every day and get the results in five minutes, right? Because that's more or less what the requirements are going to be if they want to have this thing go forward without too many hiccups. And that's exactly what what uh, John said too. I think in your that it's so it's so dependent on testing. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, but say they get to that point, but there's still that that margin of error. Well, Correct. So somebody's not going to get caught who gets it. I mean, that's if if community spread continues at a pretty high pace. I think you could you could almost guarantee that somebody's going to get it that's not caught. So they get it. They spread it to a few teammates in a day or two without, you know, anybody being the wiser because one of them got it. The other ones didn't have it when they were tested, so on and so forth. And then you've got a cluster of five cases. In the moment, you know you have a cluster of five cases. But what if you played a game the previous week against Team X? Does Team X, so say your team now has to decide, okay, we're not going to play a game next week. What is the team from the previous week? Do they decide not to play a game because they don't know if they got it from your team? It's just there's a there's going to be so many weird factors from this whole thing. So many weird factors, and it's just not the factors. It's the people who are making the decisions from those factors based on their own situations within their university and their state and county and their own sensibilities. So, I mean, you could see some teams that – uh, any person might think, wow, they've had a lot. They've had quite a few cases and they should shut down that season and they don't. And then other ones that might shut down their season with having fewer threats. So it's going to be the Wild West, I think. Uh, and it might be just literally a weekly thing on whether the decision is made if that game is being played that week. Yeah, uh, the scenario we're we're throwing out here, which is we're logically working it out, is just a crazy one. It's an absolute crazy one. Um, but then, okay, so let's say it gets to that point, and they're playing the games, and some teams have are decided not to. They played two games. Some have played four. At what? At what? Then there's the threat. That in October, during what would parallel the flu season, that there is an outbreak again. Yeah. Does the NCA step in at one point? What would take the NCA to step in and say, I mean, no more football? Or would the NCA leave it up completely to local authorities, conferences, and specific universities? I think so. When the NCAA shut down the NCAA tournament, um, and you know, all those things are being canceled. I think the, the situation wasn't quite as, and I'm not trying to get political. I'm just trying to describe the situation. It yes. wasn't as political. Like it was, there weren't these drawn battle lines that there are now. Once the decision is made to do it. And a lot of the people are on one side of the battle line who will be making this decision. And a lot of them are on the other once the decision is made to do it, there's going to be more institutional reluctance to not to, to shut it down again because of the 
what would be the expected vitriol that will come their way. Like the NCAA is a very political institution. They're not going to want to have to explain a decision based off of a few infections to, um, you know, the fan base at large and, and, you know, especially in the SEC, but it skews a certain way. So they're not going to want to have to say we're doing this just because a few people have been infected. So I think the, the situation where it gets shut down from the NCAA level is where it gets really bad, really, really bad. What's really bad? If a kid dies, you know, somebody who has an underlying condition that they didn't know about and it's actually fatal for them, you know, that, you know, somebody who had a really severe case of asthma or whatever. Um, I think that's the situation where the NCAA would have to shut it down. But short of that, it would have to be like full teams getting just a bunch of guys ill, a bunch of guys seriously ill. And I just, you know, it's going to be, I don't think the NCAA is going to be the one stepping in. I think it's going to have to be state governments who are going to have to decide again if they want to shut down. I can see that too, because the NCAA, as you said, is a political entity. It only benefits them for the games to be played. And they can always say it's it, the call is an individual call by every by every university. And it's not ours. I think that's how they're setting it up, too. Right. Don't you I, think? I would think so. Um, I, I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of talk between all of the different um, constituencies involved about liability, um, especially especially in the sense that if universities are offering a hybrid model where there is no um, lecture, say, component to college, like, you know, those UCLA lectures with 300 people in them aren't happening, but they are having discussion sections. Well, a football practice is 100 people on a field, you know, more or less together. Um, That's exposing them to a risk that you aren't exposing other students to. So... Is there going to be extra liability there beyond the typical liability associated with football? You have to be insured for all those injury things. Is this going to be an extra component of insurance? Is it going to be something else that they have to, you know, essentially account for financially? Um, And I think that's going to go up and down the ladder. But I think the NCAA will also be concerned about its own liability. You know, it's sanctioning the games. So does it have any sort of, you know, liability if something goes horribly wrong? Right. And then talking specifically UCLA's situation, uh, the state of California has set out uh, rules for uh, relieving the lockdown by county. Um, as we've written, I think we might have even talked about uh, the most recent rules that they put out, which were a couple of weeks ago made it a lot more reasonable to expect that L.A. County would achieve that. But that was also based on if we had continued with the lockdown. Um, it's hard It's hard to project whether L.A. County will meet the criteria for allowing further relief from the lockdown, which will enable – UC and UCLA to allow a certain uh, uh, to go ahead with their plan of some kids on campus and thus football players on a practice field. Um, That's really hard. That's really hard to try to project, even though it looks like we're going that way. We're still limited. UCLA is still limited by LA County. Um, Yeah. And I'm trying to remember exactly. I wrote about it, of course, and I can't even remember what the. Do you remember what those uh, requirements were? They had changed it. They I had taken they the death requirement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. since then, since I wrote about it, they. I know it was the death requirement they took off. Yeah, and the, then, that was the change. Yeah, they took the death requirement yeah. off, and then the case total was also reduced significantly. I want to say. Right. Yeah. And right now, I mean. If you go by, and this is the case count right now, uh, L.A. County would not meet that requirement. 
No, so, and a lot of cities and states and, and counties are, are just ignoring the requirements that they previously set. I know D.C. had a requirement that they had to have like X number of cases in a 14 day period to not do it. And they didn't hit that number, but they're going forward with their reopening anyway. And she, and I, I think it was, I think it's DC, but I think the mayor was like, well, uh, you know, those two days don't really count. That would have, <laughs> that made a, you know, boost over that. And it's just like, okay, well, if, I mean, if everyone's ignoring it, everyone's ignoring it. And it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's no, <laughs> to go back to the train analogy, there's no stopping this reopening train. I think um, it's just a question of what's going to come from it. Um, okay, so let's say no stopping, even if I, California uh, County, seems, California seems like it's moving towards almost a full reopening here pretty soon. I mean, a lot of stuff is reopening just across the state. And you think they'll reopen regardless if they meet the county requirements? Yeah, because there's there's so much political pressure now and so much national pressure um, from all these other areas doing it that, it's, you know, it's politicians making decisions and they've got their fingers in the wind. So even if it doesn't fit the requirements of what they previously set out, I think a lot of them are going to make the decisions to open. Um, I don't know that it's a good call. I'm not a scientist or a doctor, um, but I think it's it's quickly becoming a more political decision than a, um, a necessarily a facts on the ground decision. Yeah, this is it. One new, it changed. It's now one new case in 10,000. They took the death requirement out. Um, one new case in 10,000, but they gave another criteria, which the daily new case rate uh, would be 25 cases per 100,000 residents. Um, right now, uh, Los Angeles County, uh, you can't go by the weekend data. The weekend data is, uh, are just completely unreliable. I guess they don't report. You can only them. do um, – the only way to do it, and unfortunately it's not easy to find at a county level, but the seven-day rolling average. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the daily rate, uh, L.A. County's relatively close um, right now. So – I think that kind of does clear the way. And I think you're right. If it's even close, they'll, they'll get on the field. Um, Okay. So let's, let's fast forward to their practicing. And since they're practicing and, you know, they're probably semi quarantined and testing the team. Right. And nothing's, no one's, you know, there isn't any threat yet to like a flare up of six guys on the team. And they actually get to the games and they start playing the games. Uh, wow. How, how does a game look? Uh, as John Wilner said, he was talking about fans. And there was a lot of different scenarios being, being considered from 15% to what was the highest percent, he said, of fans in the stands. Fif- was it 50? Did he go all the way up to that? Yeah, he said. I think he said that. Um. That's I don't even know how to talk about that. Uh, I mean, trying to figure that out, that game day experience where there's okay, there's no there's there's probably no concessions. There's absolutely no alcohol. There's probably uh, no tailgating allowed. You have you're led into the stadium at different intervals. Um, The only way the, the 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 direct result of having fans in the stand is having a much shorter season. That'll be the direct result of that because more people are going to get ill because it's a big group activity. Like from all accounts, it's harder to get this thing outside. One way to make it a lot easier to get it outside is to cluster a bunch of people together, putting 20,000 people in a stadium, having them all use a common bathroom. And then how many have community spread and how many are wearing masks? Well, and that's the thing. They're going to make that. They'll have to make that a requirement. But once you get in, so are they going to, disallow tailgating they probably should because you don't want any of these people to be drunk um you probably want to limit their going to the bathroom um you want to limit all these honestly it sounds hellish i don't know why anyone would want to go to a game (laughs) i don't uh, personally i don't know why anyone wants to go to a game in the first place but i really wouldn't understand it in this circumstance it sounds awful Uh, and, and when your options are going to a game and going through that or staying at home and watching 
the game, I, I mean, to me, there's absolutely, I, I would, I would derive some joy from watching college football on TV. Completely. I'd love it. Yeah. I'd love it. Um, it would I, be I don't great. Know. Yeah. But watching it in person, I, I don't know how you're going to enjoy that, but with a mask okay, so, on the entire time with a mask. Yeah. So there's that. And then, uh, there's changing the season. I mean, we've heard so many different season scenarios, you know, from a nine game, 11, 10, 11 game, uh, taking away non-conference, moving, changing some of the, the power five non-conference games to more group of five or even FCS local games to minimize travel. Um, substituting some conference games for uh, conference games uh, for non-conference games. So the, just the logistics of that. So I understand the desire is to try to get as many games in as possible and get in as many meaningful games as possible. So that would mean, let's say they are eliminating a few uh, uh, games in the non-conference schedule. That would mean taking some of the conference games that are on the end of the schedule, like in November, and moving them to September, which you'd think would have to happen, because they're not going to just move every game up, because that way you're rescheduling two weeks instead of just one week. So, wow, just the logistics of thinking of all this. But I don't think so. so. I think ultimately um, the non-conference, because when when that was all being talked about, it was under the assumption that maybe we wouldn't be able to open up before um, August, September. And it would just put it so that the non-conference games just it would be too early to get them done. I don't see any meaningful difference between traveling to Hawaii and traveling to Washington State. So I don't. Know I, that it, I don't either. But they they that has been floated out there quite a bit. I think it's. I think it's. I, I know that was a big topic of conversation when it was still uncertain that all these states were even going to be opening up by August. Um, but now that all the momentum, national momentum, is behind every state being open more or less by like mid June, um, I I have to imagine they're just gonna. This would be the thing that makes the most sense to me. If you're going forward with the idea that there should be a football season, which put that aside, whether that even makes sense, but say it does, just do the season. Just try to do it. And they still do it. Yeah, whatever. It's (laughs) gonna, they're gonna try it. I mean, it's, it's whatever at this point. They're gonna try to do it. So just try to do it. Like, try to do it the way you had it set up. Because do you really think so? You don't think you can see totally. them at maybe no. saying, let's get the more meaningful games. Let's take away some of the non-conference games and get some more meaningful games in the front of the schedule to get as many of those played as possible. I just, the thing is you can't predict how this thing's going to go and I can't see them. So they wouldn't be moving those non-conference games. Those would just be canceled. Like, it's not like you can say we're going to play the Hawaii game in November. I mean, I guess you can, but people have, like, got travel situated around it. I don't know. Oh, I think they can do that easily. Because if they're talking about adding one conference game, they've got to add it to the dates that are currently for the non-conference schedule. So let's say UCLA plays Washington. Well, I it's guess gotta, the, the thing here be is one of those three weeks. Well, now what we're saying, time. Tracy, now what we're saying is that Chip Kelly might not be able to get his first non-conference win at UCLA. That's, that's where I was going with this. That's where I was leading our little personal caboose. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was saying. What if they do move the tail end schedule, which would be at least Cal? to the front of the UCLA schedule and add Washington Maybe or something. Oregon. But I've heard, I've heard if they were going to add a game, it would be Washington. So they add, they take out two conference. And, and if they're going to play a conference game, you think they'd play San Diego. They would play at San Diego state limited travel. Um, you know, you're not getting on a, you wouldn't have to get on a plane. But let's say they add Washington and Cal yeah. to the front end. Well, and that I, that might delay Chip <laughs> might delay Chip Kelly's first non-conference win. 
It's true. And then, I mean, just think about, I mean, Cal's supposed to be pretty good, right? This coming year, I think. Yeah, their offense is supposed to be good. Um, defensively, they lost a little bit. But, no, they should be a competitive to good team. Eight wins, maybe. What happens if UCLA plays Washington and Cal in September? How do you think they do in those games? Oh, uh, they take a couple of L's. Yeah. Okay. Chip Kelly will continue his perfect Septembers. Uh, and then, well, then maybe at San Diego State? Yeah, they could definitely lose that one, too. Um, so <laughs> okay, the, but they the, can the thing win is, that one. So if, if, New, if New Mexico State ends up off the schedule, like which yeah. ones Which ones get – so you're saying Hawaii gets canceled? I think so. Okay, so Hawaii gets canceled. They still get New Mexico State then, right? Mm. Or just they play 11 games and New Mexico State also gets canceled? I think they move they, – they add Washington to the schedule – and Washington has to be the twenty, probably the 29th, the 5th, and maybe they take Cal from the back of the schedule and move them to one of those states. Okay. So and this, if, and this is guessing on some information, but this is a big leap for everyone. Okay. I'd say they add Washington and Cal to those first two weeks, and let's say they keep San Diego State. Oh, yeah. They could go over. 100%. I'm, and overall, what I'm saying here, UCLA – if it's if it wants to have its best chance of hosting a winning season, it needs to probably retain two of those non-conference games. The thing is, and this is maybe uh, uh, it goes by school, but a lot of these schools are going to be reluctant to give up gimme games because the athletic departments and the coaches themselves, I mean, Chip Kelly wants that New Mexico State game. Um, yeah. A lot of these schools are going to want those gimme games. And they'll get pressure from those non-FBS teams because that's where they make a ton of their money. They need to get that show me money. Um, yeah. So uh, there would be a lot of factors playing against any disruption to the schedule. Uh, that's why I thought it was always amazing. when and But we've heard this scenario repeated from people who have been in Pac-12 meetings that you know they're thinking of making a – a 10 game pack 12 schedule. So that's adding, you've got to add a pack 12 game. Yeah. Right. And that would take away a non-conference game. So potentially, and people have brought this up on the forum. It's the one year where UCLA schedule is probably the easiest it's been in recent memory. I can't remember the schedule being this easy. And usually, usually has one tough non-conference game that it's not favored in, and then for whatever reason, UCLA randomly gets its other two group of fives that happen to be loaded that year, <laughs> and, and you know are tough are tough games. This is the one year that that wouldn't happen, and it would be amazingly ironic if if UCLA isn't able to play the schedule, that's the easiest it's had. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't and then, be, by I the mean, way, pretty after, UCLA. That, after that non-conference, it's Stanford at the Rose Bowl, uh, then Arizona at the Rose Bowl, and then at Arizona State. So that's through October 10th. Yeah. I mean, just, Stanford, I mean, Stanford I, and yeah. Arizona, they should be able to wax, um, even if they're mediocre. Um but it's going to be – I mean, I, there's going to – it's hard to make predictions about how this whole thing is going to go. Um, I'd, I'd, bet, I'd bet a decent amount of money against the full season. Like, I don't yeah. think they're getting from uh, September 1 to uh, December 1 playing every game. Uh, if you had a guess just right now, your own, you know, take on this. Are they playing in October? My guess is, who's they? Are we just talking UCLA? Let's let's first let's do it all. Let's say is the a college football game played in October. Let's say the let's let's do this. The majority of college football is it playing in October? Is the Pac-12 playing and is UCLA playing? Does UCLA play at Colorado on October seventeenth? The hell with it. I'll say no to all three. I don't think anybody's making it to October. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get a couple of games into it and realize, oh crap. And that's so even, even if we get even there. If, yeah, but let's say they make six games and then call it. That's the season. Yeah, they will say that it's a six-game season, and that's that's the twenty twenty season. Yeah, and the AP will just vote a champion. Yeah, I, I, I and, then, and then all of you need to, everyone needs to consider what what record UCLA has in a six game season. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm really so my thing is Tracy as um, <laughs> as somebody who doesn't care about football at all and is uh, the biggest college basketball fan in the entire world. Uh-huh. Uh, what's this going to mean for college basketball season? Because that's the most important thing to me as somebody who doesn't care at all about football and cares only about college basketball. UCLA is a basketball school. It um, always has been, always will be. I've never expressed any uh, discontent with the UCLA basketball program, and frankly, I find it um, insulting that you would even suggest that. Uh, well, a couple of considerations. One, less people it takes to conduct a college basketball game, regardless of the fans, just to conduct it. But True. two, it's it's being played inside. True. Uh, Could you play it outside, uh, though? Oh, that'd be cool. But but before I even get there, and three, with football, they could wear, you know, the protective shields over there. There are things you could do. You could wear gloves, protected shields. Basketball, you you really can't play with a mask on. Um, But as we said, it's dependent on testing. So, But easier to test a basketball program than it is a football program. Yeah, but there are a lot more teams. Right. Um, and games typically are late October, yeah. man. That's just a, I, I don't I like think the timing. That, I don't like the, timing. yeah, that, that's the basketball season is, I think 100% completely dependent on whether there is a fall flu like spike in October. Could everyone just put their damn masks on and stay inside? Could you just do it? And like, whatever. Like from a like public health standpoint, yeah, sure. I mean, it's probably a good idea. We don't want, you know, a lot of people dying. But like, also, that doesn't seem to be resonating with people. Yeah, yeah, but 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 okay. Then throw that aside. What about basketball and football season, guys? That's what we should do. We should have big banners and ads everywhere. Do you want a college football and basketball season? Wear your mask. Yeah, we really got to play to the, like, individual, like, you know, enlightened self-interest, right? I think so. Well, Screw other course. people. Don't you want your little pleasures? Come on. Wait, what are you talking about? Of course, I can't even believe you're thinking that that's, that's even either or. Of course, the way you get people to do things is through their own self-interest. So, yes, do you want a college football season? Put on a mask. Yeah. We should have the mask printed. We really should. Let's say that and sell them on 24-7 sports. Now you're talking. Now you're cooking with gas. (laughs) That's my mom saying, Dave. (laughs) Um, Okay, so we've done all that. Um, That's that's taking up a lot of time. But uh, I wrote a story today. And it's something I know that everyone would want to hear your opinion about it. it was how Chip Kelly is missed on the quarterback position at UCLA. Did you have time to read it, Dave? I had time to skim it, so I have enough to know the uh, the way you were going with it. Um, I mean, the basic premise is that he's installed an offense at UCLA. That's you know a very sophisticated. That offense, doesn't play to the strengths of his quarterback, right? It's very dependent on accuracy, as our friend Chris Osgood proved in that recent story he did, which was amazing. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't play into Dorian Thompson Robinson's strengths. And it might be tough to find, you'd have to find elite quarterbacks to be able to execute it at an optimum level. Would right. you generally, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I think that's been a that was an early critique of ours, actually, just kind of looking at the offense that it didn't seem to be plagiarizing our old work. No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying it's something that 
we had a lot of initial takes on this offensive situation that we then walked back a little bit during that first season that have now turned out to be like, yeah, that feels like it's still probably pretty true. My initial take on this was it's going to require an elite quarterback and it's going to require an elite offensive line. Um, and I think both of those are true still. This scheme, it's a you can see it might work if you have like perfect pieces at a few different spots that it might work like gangbusters. But it's college football. You got to work with imperfect pieces, which, and I thought this was a good point you made in the piece. That's why we've always advocated for simple offenses, easy to learn, plug and play, that sort of thing. That's why those are generally speaking the best offenses in college football because it has to be. You're not going to have perfect pieces in all the personnel spots. You're not going to have guys for longer than four years. You're not going to have them in key roles, really, for longer than two years. So if all of that is true, you have to be able to learn it fast, do it well quickly, and you've got to be able to do it with imperfect parts. Um, if you require any of those things to be different, you got to have the other two completely down. Like if you're Stanford and it's, okay, it's going to be complex, well, it can't be then that it um, – that you need perfect pieces, right? You need to have one or the other. Um, and Stanford always put together a string of future pro quarterbacks, too, to execute yeah. their offense. Yeah. This one, it requires that, um, and he doesn't have that in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Now, Dorian Thompson-Robinson maybe would be a fit in a different scheme. I don't know for sure. I think in the bar he, he would be better. better. And they improve. He improves. He'll probably improve his completion percentage. Probably he, 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 improved he improved incrementally last year from the year before, and no right. doubt he will have an incremental improvement as well. I, I think expecting a leap in the third year, you just don't know. Um, it's happened with I, some guys. It hasn't happened with others. I think the kind of mistake was made again. It's so funny what we come back to this was in re, in recruiting um, when they only took Chase Griffin in that in that year. Uh, that was right now. Uh, well, for the 2020 season, anyone else, Chase Griffin also, but anyone else you would take would be a redshirt freshman. And if that were a super elite recruit who was now a redshirt freshman who throws a very accurate ball, you'd think he would be competing and and would seriously be threatening uh, Thompson Robinson for the starting spot. Um, but we don't have that because – you uh, still brought in Chase Griffin, who is questionable whether he can play at this level. The one wild card, I think, in this. Is it, is it questionable still? Let's just leave it questionable. Let's just okay, say questionable. Fine, fine. Um, I think the one wild card, seriously, is is Colson Yankoff um, for a few reasons. Well, first. Great on, name. Great name. Great name. On the, on the one negative side, he's never been known to be a greatly accurate passer. He. He kind of ironically, like Dorian Thompson Robinson, is a very good athlete. He might be one of the fastest guys on the team. He would have been beautiful in the blur, like DTR would be too. But he might, we don't know, the jury's out, like I wrote, on whether he would be able to execute the position better and have a higher degree of accuracy in, in many of those throws. So. Uh, he's eligible. I know the staff likes him. He might be the answer um, or a partial answer. But the real issue right here is recruiting. They failed to bring in a guy who would be a redshirt freshman who could really seriously threaten Dorian. I don't, I don't blame him for taking Dorian Thompson Robinson. I think you probably had to with that class, uh, the 2018 class, but that, 2019 class when you took just him and the fact that Chip Kelly, this very well-known offensive guru, being able to sell a pro-style offense, which a lot of quarterbacks, high school quarterbacks are going to like the sound of that because it's going to teach them how to play in the NFL, which is their ultimate goal. And he couldn't get anyone in that class. Um, that's where this might be a major fail. While it, might be very tough. You have to find a super elite quarterback to be able to execute this. It still was – that was a fail. 
so yes, the management of the quarterback position, if you're trying to fit it into this offense, is definitely a failure. The ultimate failure is deciding that this was the scheme to go with. This is the offense to work with. You're never going to hit that perfectly. You're not going to do it perfectly all the time. You're going to end up with pieces like Dorian Thompson-Robinson that maybe fit something else. Would he fit even an air raid better than this one? Probably. And that's not to say that he's a very accurate passer, but it's a lot more easy throws. You're not making a bunch of pro-style throws. You're making like little, just short little dump-offs constantly. And no, he's not great at those, but his percentages would be higher. Um, It's just, this isn't a good scheme for a college game. Regardless of whether it's a good scheme for Dorian Thompson-Robinson, I think we both agree it's not, but it's not a good scheme for college because you just can't, you cannot guarantee you're going to get a super accurate quarterback. You can't guarantee you're going to get pro talent at all these different positions, especially if you're not big on recruiting. It's just all it's all back ass words from the beginning. It's all kind of a mis it's misconceived. And and just to support the other side of this, when he was running uh, when Chip Kelly was running his offense at Oregon, um you would arguably say one of the top five offenses in college football during that stretch. Um, his quarterbacks were Dennis Dixon, who was, you know, a very good college quarterback, I thought. Um, yeah. Who's never really made it in the NFL. Jeremiah Masoli, who's only been a backup in the Canadian Football League. Darren Thomas. I mean, th- that's an amazing story to me. He left early to go to the NFL and he wasn't drafted. He left and early to get away from Marcus Mariota. Okay, that too. He's playing in the Arena Football League, where he was. Yeah. And Marcus Mariota, who won the Heisman, because he was such a good college quarterback in that offense, he was drafted number two overall, which was kind of probably a mistake, because he's never really lived up to that kind of lofty, lofty draft status. He's had, would you say he's had an okay NFL career or not even that? Certainly okay. Um, okay. He's had flashes of good play. Um, the Titans weren't necessarily the best situation for him, but no, I don't. I think you're fair to say he didn't live up to number two. Um, and the other three, the only thing I would say is Dennis Dixon probably would have had a chance at the NFL, but he blew out his ACL. Um, but even then, marginal, marginal quarterback talent at the pro level, all right. of them. Um, and they were great in that offense great in that offense every single one and um I, and that speaks to it right um yeah. that was a scheme designed for college it's designed for the college game it was simple it was easy you could plug a guy in and he was going to be good in it um and it, it just i haven't seen anything like that from UCLA's offense it took until the end of the first season before it started to look like okay this could actually work but it was always in, this could actually work. Not, this is actually an elite offense right now. It's, oh, we're seeing signs that this can be one. Um, and that was with Wilton Spate, who was a much more accurate quarterback. Um, with Joshua Kelly, who you know was just a high pick in the NFL draft. All these different things that, you know, I mean, they had, a, they had what turned out to be pretty decent talent. And they, they just, they don't have the right pieces for it. Right. So we have learned so much over the years that success on the college level is having a scheme that college football players, like you said, can plug and play that enables them to fly around, not have to think that much. Um, And I've come around to really believing that a lot of when you call it good coaching, that is good coaching. It's having a a scheme that plays to a a typical college football player's best talent Uh, rather than uh, most college coaches will tell you. And I kind of agree with this. This can be a cop out, though, that they just don't really have enough time with the players to fully to really, really impact their development. Most of their personal development is dependent on themselves doing all the offseason work. Um, What a. A college coach, how he impacts a player's success is putting him in a position to succeed. And that also means with a scheme that is easy for them to get 
and succeeded. Um, I've seen it. It's so funny. We've seen this so many times. And since Carl Durrell's offense, we've seen it so many times. And it's it's funny to me how it just keeps happening. Uh, last year with the defensive backs, year before, um, the secondary, UCLA secondary is one of the best in the Pac-12. From what we've learned last year, they probably got a little bit too complicated for their own good, and the secondary was a mess. Um, Keep it simple. Yeah. And I'm, I guess my point is, so often in college football, college coaches keep forgetting that. I think they, they want to show how smart they are or how innovative they can be or revolutionary. And really, when it comes down to it, it's, you know, it's simplicity, stupid. And they, oh, they kind of tend to forget that. Chip Kelly got that at Oregon. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, uh, really interesting to me how coaches keep making that mistake. And I'm not just saying UCLA. We see it. We see it all over. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah. It's. Um, and I know that's a big thing for you. Too. It goes, well, it goes back to my point about um, uh, athletic departments making decisions about the coronavirus. Um, it's a group of people that trend dumb. They swing that way. Yeah. Um, I, I, get, I completely buy into your point that most coaches are ex-athletes, and we've talked about this before. And if you're an athlete, you live a life of optimism. Because you have to as an athlete, as you're you've got to stay positive, you've got to keep that energy. But so much of being a coach is a different skill set of being uh, objective and self and being able to self-scout, honestly. And that's where a lot of ex players lose their ability to coach. Yeah, it's two things. It's one, the pool you're selecting from is predisposed to kind of think in optimistic terms and not necessarily consider all scenarios with equal validity or do worst case scenario testing or all that kind of stuff. But then also it's a, uh, a artificially small pool. If you're only drawing from ex athletes, then you're limiting yourself. Um, I don't know that head coaching in college football necessarily requires being an ex player. I'm not sure if coordinating, I think position coaches, you definitely had to have played, I think to kind of, all right, this is where you're going to put your hands. This is how it's going to feel. This, You know, all that kind of stuff. But right. figuring out how X's and O's are going to work and, you know, how far a guy should run on this route to open up this area, I mean, that's just geometry. Um, and then beyond that, head coaching, how do you charm a kid and his, and his, and his family? Um, how do you, you know, make good decisions on fourth down? Um, what are the proper ways to motivate a team? You don't need to be a former player to do any of that. Right. Um, so I think all this stuff, um, it's, it, it, you create this artificial pool and then you put everyone on the same hierarchy. So a position coach moves up the ladder to become a head coach someday. Um, you're just creating a situation where you've got a, a small pool of people who are predisposed not to think critically and then you're putting them in decision in positions where there would be a big advantage for them if they could think critically. Right. And the few who do, the few who do end up thinking critically change the game. Um, and I thought Chip Kelly was that guy. Um, but I, I don't know. This is another area where athletes also tend to be um, largely ego-driven, you know? And I think ego can play a big role in all of it. Um you know, whether or not you can get out of your own way and your own beliefs about your own skills and all that kind of stuff to make critical choices. Quite a few successful coaches who never played, too. I mean, yep. uh, Mike Leach. Mike Leach. Uh, Dave Aranda, yep. who is now a head coach at Baylor, who had one of the best defenses in the country, or maybe the best. Um yep. At LSU. Yeah. Thinking critically. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very interesting because I think we've talked about it. I know. I know we've talked about Herm Edwards. Um, 
But that model makes a lot of sense in college football, where you have the the presidential figurehead as the head coach who does all of the roles of head coach really well. And then you leave a lot of the coaching up to your coordinators and your position guys. But I mean, so much of the quality of your coaching is on the coordinators. Um, There's a lot to be said because if you ever go out and watch a football practice, the head coach is just not coaching that much. He's not, he's walking around with his whistle. Yeah. Uh, which is, as we talked about, it's different than basketball. The basketball coach, if you ever watch basketball, college basketball, he's doing 85% of the coaching. Yeah, he's got to be your, your main skills guy. Right. So I, I, like, I like the kind of uh, the scenario of a really strong figurehead head coach that doesn't cost you $5 million and then a couple of coordinators. And what I'm saying is put a lot of your money in your, in your uh, coach salary pool into your coordinators. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. There we go. We, we've done really well. We, we could keep going. We killed it. We murdered it. We did really. Yeah. No. Best, best we've ever done. <laughs> right today this top, is it top of our game <laughs> you sound you sound uh energized dave i am from when we I'm started yeah delirious maybe maybe yeah energized you betcha <laughs> okay well i'm happy all right well for that guy tracy pearson i'm david woods burn report online ucla site on the 24 7 sports network and we tracy and i we'll talk to you again next time Stay safe, everyone.